Well, I want to start out today by talking about another guy that um, perhaps most impacted my life as a young follower of Jesus. And he's a guy that I'm guessing no, nobody in the room, maybe a few of you went to high school with him, so you knew him. But he's not famous, but his name's Brian Ryan. He was a, a school teacher, I think at Fruta. And uh, he was a, had a young family, and he was a volunteer in our youth group. And he decided to start a small discipleship group with me and two of my friends. And we had uh, some real fun adventures. He took us up to his parents' cabin at Vega and played poker. And we had a good time um, just, just having fun. But more importantly, we talked about Jesus and we talked about the Bible. And we had some accountability time where we shared things we were struggling with. And he prayed for us and he checked in with us. You know, he ended up moving out of state. And the interesting thing is I can't remember anything specific that Brian taught me. But the impact he made in my life simply by being available and encouraging me to follow Jesus and speaking into my life in those high school years has carried on. He's a significant part of why I follow Jesus today and why I'm in vocational ministry. And like I said, today we are launching a new five-week series called Everyday Disciple. We're going to talk about how we become disciples who make disciples. Now, when it comes to this kind of topic, um, if you grew up in church, I'm going to put up a scripture that's probably you've, you've read before. Here it is, Matthew 28, 18. This is after the resurrection, before Jesus ascends back to the Father. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if you go back and listen to the last uh, you know, three or four weeks of sermons in Ephesians 6 on spiritual warfare, if you want to dig into that and the implications of that a little bit more. All authority in heaven and on earth has, has been given to me. Therefore, and this is the commission, this is the great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. There's two um, kind of founding principles, really. If you want to know what, what our church is all about, the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. This is our common mission as followers of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If, if you grew up in church, uh, you've heard about the great commission before, haven't you? Let's just show a hand who's heard about the Great Commission before. Okay, that's what I thought. Most of you have heard about the Great Commission before, probably a lot of times. You know you are supposed to be growing as a follower of Jesus yourself and then helping others follow Jesus. But here, here's the tension is that for many, other than bringing your family to church, for many it just doesn't impact your daily life very much. For some, it's not even on your radar, this idea of being a disciple who then goes and makes other disciples. I think for some of you, you just don't feel qualified. Like, you're like, how would I even do that? I, I don't, I've got no idea how to do that. Well, we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. For, for some of you, uh, man, you embrace the idea of growing as a follower of Jesus, and you're, you're trying. 
And I'm so grateful. We've got people that are just kind of checking out God, church, and the Bible. And I'm so grateful that you're here and you're, you're pursuing Jesus and you're, you're learning and growing. But others, like you've been in this for a long time and you've embraced the idea of growing as a follower of Jesus. But the making disciples part, um, you, you kind of have this thing in your head that that's just for the professionals. That's good for Tim and Jason and Winston and, you know, John and, and some of the, you know, rock star volunteers around here. But not me. And here's what I want you to grasp. When Jesus said this, now he says this to, to the eleven to his apostles. But over, over a couple thousand years of church history now, we've, come to, we've known and we've understood that the very ends of the earth, that this applies to all of us, that this is a common mission. This is the task that Jesus has given. This is, have you ever wondered why you don't like pray a prayer at camp and accept Jesus and beam, he just beams you up right then and there? It's because you've been left here on a mission for him. Your life is to be lived on mission for him. I've never heard of one person who accepted Jesus and got beamed up. It, yeah. That's because he has a job for us to do here. He left us with a job to do on this earth. And around here, we have a value. It, it's called this across the street, across the world. Now, when you read this, go into all the world and make disciples, um, guess what it means? It means go. <laughs> yeah. So there's been some, like, discussion on this because some people say, well, maybe it more means as you go. But as, as I dug into the Greek on this, no, it means go. And so here's what I think that means for us in a local context because every one of you is going to be called to go in a little bit different way. But here's what I know about all of us, and here's, here's, what I, here's our value as a church. We're called to go across the street, and we're called to go, go across the world. And so our hope for you, at some point, every one of you, we have the goal to get you on a missions trip because we just love what God does in your heart when that, when that happens. We love taking your kids on missions trips and seeing like their hearts light up for the kingdom of God. So that's our goal for you. Mark your calendars, Homes of Hope, Memorial Day weekend next year. Bring your family and come. So there's your little save the day right there. Now, across the street sometimes is a little harder, isn't it? You realize when God, Jesus says, love your neighbors, it does include your actual neighbors? I'm just I mean, it does. <laughs> Across the street also means across the hall at work, doesn't it? It means across the soccer field or on the sidelines as you stand there and you're, you're watching your kid's team play. It's those people in your life who, do, who don't know Jesus yet, perhaps, or who are struggling, who maybe know Jesus, but um, they're really struggling with some things in life. And see, that's where the calling of making disciples reaches us. He says, I want you to, to make disciples. And, and, and what is the heart behind making disciples? Did you catch it in Matthew 28? Teaching them to do what? To obey all that I've commanded you. See, it's not just about getting people to pray a prayer. Although certainly salvation is a free gift from him, right? We trust in him through faith, and by grace we are saved. Not because of anything we do. But that's a starting point. That's an entry into his kingdom. It's an entry into a life of following him, a life of being a disciple. 
He's called us to be a disciple, and he's called us to make disciples. And, and in that process, it's both learning how to become more of a devoted follower of Jesus ourselves, and also help us, others understand, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How does that work itself out in, in our, in our day-in, day-out lives? How do we encourage each other to do that? Man, I think this, I just talked about Lauren Cunningham. I think he was, he was an amazing recent example of this. As he influenced so many lives and, you know, released young people into ministry all around the world. Impacted so many lives. But you know what? This, this isn't just for, like, superstar full-time missionaries. This is a common calling that we've been given to do the same. And here's the thing. To make disciples, I think it's important that first we need to be a disciple. Don't you think that's probably an important step? If you want to make disciples, you probably need to understand what it means to be a disciple. And the word disciple, it comes from a, a Hebrew word and a Hebrew concept that, that would have been very understandable in the first century. It was the Talmudim. It was um, these apprentices of a rabbi. And in this kind of culture, the cream of the crop would go to... Um, they would go to uh, Bible school, basically, as a kid. You would learn all of the Old Testament. And by the time they would graduate at about age 12, they would, most of these students would have um, the whole Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. By heart. Some of you, like, can't even get through Leviticus without your eyes glazing over. <laughs> And, and they would know the scriptures. And, and, and many, um, the, those that were really the cream of the crop, they would then go to apply to a rabbi. The rest of them, um, maybe they would apply to a rabbi. If the rabbi didn't think they had what it takes, he said, you know what? I don't think you got what it takes. Why don't you go back and, and go to learn your parents' business, essentially, because that's what people did in this culture. Go learn the, your family business. It's more up your alley. Still love God, serve God. That was part of the whole culture. But you should probably go pursue other things. Some of you have been told that and different things you wanted to do. And it was, it was kind of hard to process, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, those that were called, the, those that would apply to a rabbi after this first sort of level of, of schooling, if the rabbi thought they, would, they had what it t took, not just to know, to learn what they knew, but to do what they did, See, they were an apprentice. He would say, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. And here's the really cool thing about what Jesus does. And you notice where, like, you remember some of the disciples from, from the New Testament? Peter, James, and John, like some of the all-stars, right? What are they doing? Working dad's business? They're in the family. These guys were not the cream of the crop. They were not the top of their class. In fact, we're told in Acts that the, the religious leaders are, are uh, astounded because they were just ordinary men. Like, there was nothing special about them, and they took note that they'd been with Jesus. And Jesus takes these guys, and he calls them and says, hey, follow me. I have a bigger vision for your life than you ever did. I've got something for you, and I see potential in you. Follow me. Now, over the last uh, few months, we've been working really hard as we thought about 
How do we make it memorable for our congregation if, if our goal is really to move towards a place that our church is really a church full of people who are both growing as disciples personally? And disciple, I think a good way to think about that is just a, a devoted apprentice of Jesus. Someone who learns to do what their master does. That's, what, that's why a rabbi would say, follow me. Not just you can pack your head full of knowledge, but you can do what I do. That's why Jesus, we are his hands and feet in this world. That's why he left us here. He left us on mission to share the gospel, to make other disciples to the very ends of the earth. He says, I'm with you, right? But we thought, we came up with four different phrases that we think will be helpful for you. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. These four traits are roles of a disciple. And we said, man, it would be our dream as a church if Everyone that, you know, started coming here and called this their home church, if we all were pursuing these four things and making these real in our lives, it would change our community. We would see so many people reach for Jesus. Here's these four traits. I'm going to list them off real quick. The first one is this, that we would walk into the place of being responsive followers in our life, that we would seek Jesus in prayer, seek God in Scripture, and we would do our best to obey. Because that's what Jesus said a disciple does, right? He learns to follow, learns to understand what the master is telling us. And then we, we align our lives to the truth of what he says. So we would learn to be our responsive follower of him. We would also respond to the Holy Spirit as he prompts us in this life. Also, we think a disciple, in order to make disciples, in order to, to do all of the one another in commandments that we see in the New Testament, we think a, a disciple needs to be an available friend. Someone who is consistently prioritizing gospel-focused friendships in their life and keeping room in their schedule to connect with people. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, and I think for some of you it's going to be a little bit of an ouch because I don't think a lot of us are very good at doing this. But I think it's vital if we want to be effective at being people who make disciples in our lives. The third thing is this, a ready guide. Now, see, this is where some of you are like, I, I heard about this. I want to be a follower of Jesus. But guiding other people or helping other people follow Jesus, I'm just, I'm not qualified or I'm not equipped. We think following Jesus as a disciple who makes disciples, you got to be prepared. And our goal as a church is to help you doing that, like help you move towards a place where you say, you know what? I'm prepared to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus. Perhaps for some of you, you're like, I don't know how to do that because I've never been discipled. And we want to help you in that as we go forward. And then to live a life and understand that this life, my life, I step into a life that's a life on mission. That every day I live my life on mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That I see my resources, I see the things God's given me. Um, placed in my hands, the opportunities, the gifts and talents, all those things, as something he's placed in my life, I'm on mission for him in my whole life. A responsive follower, an available friend, a ready guide, and a life on mission. And today we're going to look a little bit at this first trait, a responsive follower. And to help us really understand and dig into it, I want to look at a guy in the scriptures named Philip. Now, there's a couple of guys in the scriptures named Philip. Here's, here's, what we, here's where we see and first meet Philip is in the beginning of the book of John. And it's the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. 
and he meets, uh, Jesus goes and he meets Peter and gives him a cool nickname right up front. And then he meets John. We, we believe John's like hides himself in the beginning of chapter one. If you remember way back, like two and a half years ago when we started the book of John. And then um, it's so cool because Jesus then finds this guy named Philip and, and he says to him, hey, follow me. And Philip says, yes. And here's where the life of a disciple begins. A responsive follower, here's the invitation of Jesus. Jesus said, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws them to me. And so God's drawing them. God's drawing them. And a responsive follower says, yes. And I think some of you are here today because God is drawing you to, to, to meet Jesus, to come into relationship with him. Or maybe for some of you, he's drawing you back again. There was a time when you served him, when you followed him. And man, there was a, a group, a period of years where it, it went south. And he's drawing you back again. Say, come on, there's more to life than the way you've been living. Come to me. Now, I love it because the very first thing Philip does is he finds one of his other friends named Nathaniel. And he tells him, hey, we found the one that Moses wrote about all the way back in Deuteronomy, the one whom the prophets wrote about, the, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, like, looks at him and laughs. He's like, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And I love Philip's answer because Philip just says, hey, come and see. Come and see. And see, the heart of being a responsive follower is this Jesus invites you to follow me like he invited Philip to follow him. And you don't have all the information when he invites you to follow him. He didn't tell you how all of life's going to work out or the adventures or misadventures that you're going to have. But he invites you, hey, follow me. It'll be worth it. And then when you discover Jesus... When you really get to know him, there's something magnetic. There's something that you just want to you, you say to others, come and see, come and meet Jesus because he's good. And there's nothing better than following him. And here's what's cool. Because of his heart as a responsive follower, Philip receives a calling from God. Actually, uh, Jesus spends three years with him and with 11 other guys pouring into them, discipling them. Three years. And then he gets to be part of, of the original 12 apostles that were chosen by Jesus to lead and to launch his movement known as the church. Or When you hear the church, you think building, but what the church means in Greek is, is a gathering, ecclesia, a gathering, a movement, an assembly, something that's heading out into this world, something that's on mission. It's a very organic idea here. And he, he chooses him to be part of the original 12 apostles that will launch this mission and change the world. Now, as we talk about Philip, you might be thinking, well, that's easy for him. He's one of the 12. He spent three years with Jesus. So I wanted to illustrate really the heart of a responsive follower. I actually want to look at a different Philip. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn on over to Acts chapter 6. We're going to read a little bit in Acts chapter 6, and then we're going to Flip forward to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see a different Philip in the Scriptures. And here's, here's what uh, Acts, here's what the author, who's Luke, 
the physician. He's a scholar. Here's, here's what he records about this. He says, in those days, this is very early, in the first months of the church, the early church, and there's all this excitement, all this momentum, and it doesn't take long for some problems to emerge. In those days, when the number of disciples, everybody say disciples. Yeah. When the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, the Hellenistic Jews are um, Jewish people that were scattered around the uh, Roman Empire. Some of them were coming back, but they'd adopted a lot of Greek tradition and Greek thinking and Greek culture. And so they're kind of, you know, they don't get along so well always with the Hebraic Jews, the ones that, you know, spent all their lives and grew up in Jerusalem. So there's kind of this conflict and there's this strife happening and there's some complaining against that's happening here in the early church. I am so glad that complaining like that doesn't happen anymore in the church. <clears throat> so, so here's what happens. It says this. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Like God's given us a mission and and we've been called and we just don't have the time or the capacity to do all of this. Notice they didn't say, we're too good for this. They say, uh, we've been given a calling and we've been given this thing to do. And so we need somebody else to deal with this problem because it's stressing us out. I'm adding that. You don't see that. But I think it was because I've been a leader in a church for a while. And there's some things that stress you out. And you're glad you have a great team that can help sort some of those things out, right? And so they're, they're in this situation. They said, we've got a job to do. We have something that needs to be done. And so they gather all the disciples together. And then uh, in verse 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So what are they looking for? Some, Some waiters, right? We need somebody to solve this problem and figure it out and actually um, wait on some tables here so that we can focus on the thing God's given us to do. And you notice the qualifications to serve in that way? What did they they look for? They look for disciples who are what? Full of the spirit and wisdom. The spirit and wisdom. So there's this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw this in Acts chapter, uh, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. That allowing the Spirit of God to influence and control our lives in a sense, submitting our lives to him, where he brings good fruit in our lives. Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter 4, a life yielded to the Spirit of God. Um, He says the Spirit in the flesh, and when he talks about the flesh, it's not like, you know, our actual physical bodies. He's talking about that part of us that tries to draw us into sinful behavior. And if you've been alive for any time, you know that exists, right? From the time your kids are little, that exists, doesn't it? Nobody has to teach your kid to be selfish. It just happens. And and you just grow up and you hide it better, right? It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. There's all kinds of things. He says there's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. He's listing off a few things. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And there's a whole bunch more. I'm just going to list off these. That there's a conflict between the flesh, which pulls us into behaviors like that, and then the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit that's produced by us yielding our lives and cooperating with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And those things are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Things like those. Things that are beautiful. We see them in people's lives. They bring glory and honor to God. So it says, I want you to look for people who are full of the Spirit, who understand how to listen to the voice of the Spirit, respond to Him, whose lives reflect the character of the Holy Spirit. We'll see in a little bit who, who understand and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then are wise. This is someone who, who is wise, which is knowing truth and how it applies to life. This is understanding Scripture. Fear of God is the, is the beginning of wisdom. This is understanding what God says, who created this world, what he says about reality and truth, and then yielding our lives to it. So, so essentially, I want wise people who know how to respond and listen to the Holy Spirit. Responsive followers is what he's calling out. And he says, that's what we want you to look for. In verse 5, it said, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also, here we go, Philip, Prochorus, Nisenor, Timon, Parnaeus, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on him or on them. So there's these guys that are called and they've given, man, they, they look for some high character guys to do what seems like kind of a menial task, doesn't it? Pass out the tables, we got some people complaining over here. How many of you have worked in food service or customer service and dealt with some complaining people? Yeah. Glamorous assignment, isn't it? <laughs> but we need to see people with character here. here there's an acronym um, of what you look for when you're discipling other people. Or when, you, when you're looking for people whose God's like got their finger on to, to use in a different way. It's fat. Faithful, available, teachable. How many of you have heard that? Fat. Okay, I'm looking for some fat people. Um, now, there's two ones. There's a better acronym we added, uh, maybe because that's the one I learned way back when. But Jason taught me a couple other ones to add onto there. It's faith is a different ac acronym. And faith, let me see if I wrote it down here. Faithful, available. Oh, it's intentional. Yeah, intentional that. People who are intentionally Looking, faithful, available, intentional, teachable, and hungry. Who want to see God move in their lives. Who want to be used by God. And here's what we see. We're going to see later, Philip is a gifted evangelist. But initially, man, he's called to serve tables. To deal with complaining people and serve tables. And here's, here's what I know about all of us. Every one of us has this desire in our heart to be somebody special. But, you know, God calls us to do things in our life that are meaningful. And oftentimes, those two things are in conflict with each other. The desire to be seen is important, and the desire to faithfully serve and do something meaningful for the kingdom of God. 
we're not too good to hand out bread, to deal with complainers, to serve when called. And look at the, out, the outcome of this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Priests, these were the religious leaders. This, this, this was people who probably were part of the big circle that got Jesus crucified. The faith continues to grow because people faithfully serve and people faithfully disciple others. And what? The number of disciples, followers of Jesus, not not just converts, followers of Jesus, those who devote their life to Jesus, it grew. And a large number became obedient to the faith. Now, if you know the book of Acts, what you know is Acts chapter 6 happens. We're introduced to Stephen and then Philip. And then what's the very next thing that happens in Acts chapter 7? Acts 6 and 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr in the church. And he preaches this epic sermon, all of Acts chapter 7. And at the end of it, they're so angry at him. He sees heaven open. He sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of, of the Father. Actually, he sees Jesus standing, which is kind of cool. It's like he's wait, like watching the, the whole thing happen, going down as they stone Stephen. And then they kill him. And here's, here's how Acts 8 happens. And, and we sort of... As we flip a chapter, we flip a chapter in church history, too, because things are going great, and the complainers are taken care of, and we got faithful, good people serving in these roles, and everything's, there's momentum, and we're growing, and all of a sudden, a persecution breaks out. It says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, on that day, a great persecution, I can't talk, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. (laughs) Nobody wanted this. Now, Jesus warned them of this. What did he say? In this life, you will have troubles. There will be persecution. It's not always going to be easy, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so guess what happens? They scatter. It says in this, in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is how the church got out of Jerusalem and began really moving forward. There was a little heat, a little pressure, and they scatter. But I love the fact that they don't just tuck tail and run. They preach Jesus wherever they go. And here we see Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And I love this because part of a responsive follower, this wasn't his plan. This wasn't his idea. He was, you know, he'd been, you know, chosen for this service role. He was doing a good job at it, being faithful. And all of a sudden, persecution comes, and he has to get out of Dodge. Remember, he's the second dude on the list. Stephen, the new Philip. They've got his number. So he has to get out of Jerusalem at this point. And what I love about this is life takes a turn. Even though this thing wasn't his idea, he doesn't mope around going, all right, what do I do now? It's like, okay, he's asking, what do I do now, God? It's like, well, just preach the gospel. I'm going to be a responsive follower. I'm going to be a disciple who makes disciples. I'm going to live my life on mission, even though I'm having to run. Life takes a turn. 
I went back uh, as I was just reviewing some things that uh, Lauren Cunningham had written in one of his books, my, one of my favorites, Is That Really You, God? And, and they had an experience where things took a turn where God had clearly led and spoken about a ship's ministry. And they had a ship, and they had raised funds, and, they, and, and to make a long story short, it completely fell apart. Kind of pride got in the way, and it completely fell apart. And, and Lauren had to do something. He had to call the businessman investor who had given a large chunk of money for that down payment and tell him, we lost it. Like, this vision has died. The gift you so graciously gave, it's gone. We lost our down payment. And this businessman (laughs) said this to him. He said, I consider, he listened to the whole story and what God had been teaching them through this. He said, I consider my money well invested, Lauren. God has used it to get your organization humbled before him. I expect you to move ahead with special power now. Congratulations. (laughs) That's a cool perspective. (laughs) And what's crazy is out of this sort of, out of this season where life happened, they didn't see it coming, everything was falling apart. Um, That's when God birthed the University of the Nations in Kona and what has now become mercy ships. Now multiple ships that are ministering, huge hospital ships all around the world. I mean, God did incredible things, but sometimes life takes a left turn and a responsive follower says, okay, God, now what? Now what? I want to follow you in this. Verse 6 says this, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And I love that there's fruit. There's ongoing fruit. And and here's the important thing to note here. His gifting, he's known later as Philip the evangelist, his gifting comes out. And I think we know about Philip in his ministry because he'd said, said yes to serving tables. That he'd say, he said yes in responsively following Jesus. He's like, okay, like serving tables isn't exactly, I mean, there's people that are really good at it, right? <laughs> but it's not like what he grew up dreaming of doing. But he chose to say yes. And I think if he would have refused to do the, the humble thing in this moment, I, I don't think we would have ever known his name. But instead, he takes up like a whole chapter of the book of Acts. In fact, verse 26, he has another incredible experience. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So there's the very clear leading of God. We don't know exactly if this was an angel in a dream or um, actually appeared. We know that happens, and we see that in Scripture. But it's a very clear leading. But we don't, he didn't give him all the information, does he? He just says, hey, I want you to take a walk down that road. Down that road. See, there's a pattern of lifestyle that's seeking God in scriptures, that's praying, that's growing in wisdom, that's learning to be responsive to the Spirit. When you pursue those kinds of things, when he wants to lead you in very clear ways, he can make it clear. He can make it crystal clear to you 
when he wants to call you in a specific direction. I think so many times we get spun out seeking specific direction in areas of our life. Or it's just like to seek him, pursue him, be in scripture, follow the, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, respond in the little things. When he wants you to do the big things, he'll make it clear. And so we, he makes it clear. So Philip takes off walking, walking down the road. Says he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, you can go back, ask your parents about that later. A little conversation. An important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, here's what's interesting. First, we see him being responsive to the very clear leading of God. Hey, take a hike down that road. What are we doing? You'll find out. So he just says, walk that way, right? And he's, and he's heading on down. And th this, I get the sense in this verse that this is different. This is the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This is the still, small voice. This is the easy thing to ignore or write off in our lives. Because sometimes this is vague. But this is him coming down. He's walking. He's like, I know I'm on a mission for God now. He's looking for what the Father God is doing in this situation. What are you doing here, God? And he listens to the nudge of the Holy Spirit, the still small voice saying, hey, go walk over there. He pays attention to it. See, this is, I think, in our life where you have a nudge. Like, I don't know how to explain it much better than a nudge. Still small voice. It feels kind of vague sometimes, but you just have a sense that God's telling you, hey, pay attention to that. Make that phone call. Send that text message. Check in with them. Ask them a question. Be interested about this person. Ask them about their family. Ask them about their life. Pay attention. I'm doing something. You're not just going through life to go to the shopping done and get the kids home from soccer and check off your list. You're on mission. You're responsive to the Holy Spirit as he, as he whispers, hey, pay attention to the situation. And that's exactly what Philip does here. I, I, uh, I had a lunch with a pastor this week. Um, that We had a, like a big pastor's conference with uh, Vineyard, uh, 59 churches here in town. And I got to hang out uh, with this guy who, who 15 years ago, we were at a little conference. And he just felt the nudge of God to share something with me in that moment. And that was a key confirmation of what God had been speaking to us about planning a church. And it was so cool because we, we hosted the youth here and he played bass. And, and I'm like, we'd lost touch for years and years and ran into each other a few years ago. And he was here and he got to play bass and see what, you know, just be part of what God's done. That he was instrumental in, in being used by God to confirm in our hearts years ago before any of this ever was. And he could have easily ignored that. He could easily said, nah. But he, but he spoke this, this encouragement to us. And it confirmed this thing. So Philip's here. He's doing that. Verse 30, it says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And, and pay attention to this. Because he, he doesn't just look for opportunities. He creates an opportunity. All of a sudden, he's like, okay, I'm listening to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Go over here. I hear a guy reading, and I'm going to pay attention to that. And I'm going to figure this is probably what God wants to do. 
And then he makes the opportunity. This is the point in being a responsive follower where you actually have to do the awkward thing and say, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe in a God who can move in that situation. Man, that sounds really hard. Can I pray for you? Hey, why don't you come to church afterwards? There's free pizza and, and cute girls. I mean, <laughs> no, don't, don't use missionary dating. There's free pizza, though. That's a good one. <laughs> this is where you, like, take a risk. And it's nervous and it feels awkward because you've never brought up Jesus in the conversation with this friend before. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit goes, hey, this is your opportunity. You've got to make opportunities. Be looking for what the Father's doing and then make opportunities. Look for them. Take a risk. Take a risk. So he says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Come on. Climbs in his big royal chariot. It says, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So he's reading the Isaiah chapter 53 a prophecy written 700 years before Jesus walked this planet that's perhaps the clearest passage in all of the scripture on the suffering of Messiah who would die for our sins. In fact, it's so clear that a couple hundred years after Jesus, it was so clear that rabbis who did not believe in Jesus, they took it out of the reading in the synagogues. I watched this video today of people in Israel that they go around and, and read this, and they go, who do you think this is about? <laughs> and they're like, who is that? It's the prophet Isaiah. What? Well, it sounds like Jesus. Yeah, exactly. It's about Jesus. And so here's the cool thing. It says this, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Here's the thing. He was prepared. He was a ready God. See, a responsive follower is in the scriptures. You got to see this. The wisdom part, he, was in, he knew the scriptures well enough that he's like, oh, I know that by heart. I know the passage. I'll tell you exactly what that means. He had scripture in his heart. The psalmist says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction and teaching and training in righteousness. If you want to be a responsive follower, you've got to be in the word. You've got to learn the whole counsel of scripture. It's so important. And this guy, he knew it. He was in it, and he was ready. He was prepared to guide someone else to share Jesus. We have a value around here, biblically serious, responsive to the Holy Spirit. It really defines a lot of what our church is about. We're very serious about teaching the scriptures because it's so important. And responding then as we respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit, they go together. They always have. You see this in Philip right here. He told him the good news about Jesus. Now, here's a responsive follower. Here's, here's how we want to help you remember this. A responsive follower is someone who can say this, I am daily seeking God's direction and choosing 
to obey. I am daily seeking God's direction and choosing to obey. So this is through Scripture, right? I'm in Scripture. In prayer, I'm, I'm not just reading off a list of things, although he wants to hear about those things that are on your heart. Cast your cares on him. Bring your request to him. But it's me also taking time to listen in prayer. God, what are you speaking to me? What is your agenda? What do you want to do today in my life? This is wise counsel, having other people in your lives and and listening to them. Letting others speak into your life. This is being a lifelong learner that you don't just stop and check out. It's being in Scripture, reading Scripture, and it's responding then to truth. I'm going to submit my life to the truth of God's Word. I'm going to submit my life to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit convicts of sin or something that needs to be dealt with in my life. I'm going to change my, be willing to change my, my course when, when the, whole, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit says, hey, go this way. Pay attention to that. Take a risk in that area. A responsive follower, I'm daily seeking God's direction and choosing to obey. Now, here's the outcome of this encounter with this Ethiopian uh, eunuch. Here's, it, I think it's really cool. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord how cool would this be? <laughs> Suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about. And what's he doing? Doing what God told him to. Ah, you put me here, literally. <laughs> I'm just going to preach the gospel. He preached the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, here's the cool thing. Um, The next time we see Philip is somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 years later. It's when Paul's heading back to Jerusalem. And here's what you got to see. He he just, wherever he goes, he preaches the gospel. He's faithful. And I love it. Here's the last thing we see about him in Scripture. Leaving the next day, this is uh, Luke talking. He's traveling with Paul. It says, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. Hey, that's our boy. Now he's gone. He's gone a long way. It says he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So you, you, you see, 20, almost 20 years later, he's available. Hey, come stay at my home. He's an available friend to others. He's been faithfully discipling. And guess what? He's passed on his faith to the next generation. He has four daughters that love Jesus, that pursue Jesus. And let me just say, parents and grandparents in the room, your greatest discipleship legacy is likely going to be your kids and your grandkids. We we often talk about Deuteronomy chapter 6, passing faith on to the upcoming generations. Don't miss that opportunity because that's likely one of the, the biggest places God wants to work in your life. A responsive follower. A responsive follower. Let's all read this together. A responsive follower. This one statement. I am daily seeking God's direction and choosing to obey. One more time. I am daily seeking God's direction and choosing to obey. 
As we close, I'm going to invite Winston back up here for a minute. He's going to play. I just want to ask you a couple questions because we have two questions here that, that we want you to maybe write down. This helps you think about where am I at on this? Where do I need to grow? Two clarifying questions for you. First one is this. What has God recently revealed to you through Scripture or prayer? Not five years ago. What has he recently revealed to you through Scripture? What was in like an aha moment or through prayer where he led you in a direction or, or spoke something to your heart that was so clear? Do you have anything like that? How are you doing daily seeking God's direction? Are you in the Scriptures? Is it getting into your heart or is it sort of dropped off the radar? Are you in prayer and not just with a laundry list, but listening too, taking moments to listen to his voice? Are you, do you have others speaking into your life? Wisdom, wise counsel. What has God recently revealed to you through scripture or prayer? Here's the other question. This is a little harder sometimes. Are you doing what he says? How are you doing responding to the truth of his word? Is there an area where this conflict of the flesh has been bumping up against it and you're, you're struggling? A responsive follower says, okay, God, I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to follow you. Are you responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Are you paying attention to this still small voice? When he says, hey, I want you to, to reach out to that person. I want you to move in this direction. I want you to try this. Or are you just ignoring it? You, you could be a key in somebody else's story of how they met Jesus or how they launched a new thing just because you respond to the Holy Spirit. You do something that doesn't feel all that important or significant in the moment or you just serve faithfully in an area that he's called you to serve. You show up again and again. You speak into someone else's life. You work with kids or youth like Brian Ryan and my wife. Taking your Wednesday nights and working with some kids. Not just for a week or two, but ongoing. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And are you listening? Are you obeying? Are you taking a risk for him? Would you stand? As we close, I'm going to pray for you in your journey as a responsive follower. But I want to, I want to start by giving an opportunity for, for maybe somebody in the room that the, the challenge to you, Jesus is saying, follow me. And your first response is going, yes, I want to follow you. I want to receive the gift of life and salvation. And then I want to live for you. And I don't know what that's going to look like but I trust you that you're good. And I want to live my life for you. If that's you, let's just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And why don't you just pray a prayer like this with me? Lord Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died and rose again. Would you forgive me of my sin and welcome me into your family? I want to follow you. I want to live my life as a disciple of you by the power of your spirit. And Lord, for the rest of us, would you show us 
exactly how this applies in our lives, that we would be people who daily, daily seek your direction and choose to obey. Bless my friends here today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.